if we could. Exodus chapter number one. <clears throat> Exodus chapter one, as you turn there, I'll give you a couple of prayer requests right quick. Uh, Miss Charity Clark asked us to remember her sister Grace, who's having a little bit of a, uh, a brain bleed this morning, something quite serious. Uh, and then as well, Brother Charles Sanders, one of our folks having some complications last night. I talked to Miss April. You need to remember them in prayers. These folks are obviously facing some difficult times uh, this morning. Exodus chapter number 11. If you're there, let's go ahead and stand together if we could. I'm sorry, chapter one. I said 11. Chapter 1, <clears throat> we'll get to 11 later on, about 1.30. Uh, Exodus chapter number 1, <clears throat> the funny thing about that is you thought I was joking. Exodus 1, if you would, let's look down, uh, let's look down to about verse number 8. We're going to skip through Exodus 1, Exodus 3, and Exodus 5. Uh, that way we can get to the message this morning. Exodus chapter 1, look down to about verse number 8. The Bible says, now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. Remember, the king of Egypt was very hospitable to Joseph and had given him that land of Goshen for them to dwell in for all that he had done for them. Uh, skip over, if you will, to chapter number three. Look at verse number seven. <clears throat> This new king that rises up has put them to work. He is using all the labor of Israel to try to keep their population down. But you keep reading in chapter number one, you'll find out the more they were afflicted, the more they grew. That's oftentimes how God does grow us even today. Verse number seven, the Bible says that when God speaking to Moses says this, the Lord says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So we know what's happening here. God's calling Moses to go into Egypt to deliver his people. Now, skip over to chapter 5. Look at verse number 1. <clears throat> Moses is beginning the answering of the call of what God has led him and called him to do. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, and that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye Moses and Aaron let the people from their works get you unto your burdens? And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and ye make them rest from their burdens. And Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, Ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick, as heretofore let them go and gather straw for themselves. Let's stop there and pray. Father God, thank you this morning just for a great day already. Thank you for the opportunity to be in Sunday school. What a privilege to be back, Lord, in our classes again. Thank you, Lord, for those that have come out to our service today, and I pray that we've come with a heart ready to receive your word. Lord, you know what we need. You've sent what we need. Now help us, Father, I pray, to receive what you'd have us to have. I pray for the invitation today most of all. I pray, Father, that we would respond in a way that's pleasing to you. Uh, Father, however you may lead us today, I pray, Lord, if there's one lost, show them their need for salvation. Uh, Lord, before it is eternally too late, and for the saved, help us be challenged, Father, by your word today, and just be obedient to it for us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> 
After Brother Barnes preached the other night and used the scale, I really wanted a prop today, but uh, the prop I needed was one of those baskets from Dollar General, and they were not too excited about letting me borrow one. So uh, today, just going to have to pretend that I have one of those as the illustration for what I'm going to be preaching about here uh, this morning. The other day, I went to the Dollar Tree to get uh, some candy for our kids. Every once in a while, I like to go in there, get a few bags of candy, and carry it over to the school and, uh, and pass it out during lunch to get the kids really hyped up on sugar before they go back to their classrooms. And as typical is my, my pattern, when I go to Dollar Tree, I'll go in, I'll grab a basket, put it here on my arm, and begin walking up and down the aisles. Now, I know where the candy aisle is at, but uh, being a Dollar Tree, you need to make sure they don't have something else you might need. I mean, it's only a dollar. Uh, that's one of the few stores I go into that I feel rich. I don't even look at the prices on it, you know? Some of you people who go to the counter and ask, how much is this at Dollar Tree? You don't get it, do you? I'll, I'll explain it to you after the service, but I'll go up and down the aisle, and I'll see something my wife might need some gift bags for maybe for the missionaries or something. And so I just throw a few in there. You can never have too many gift bags and, you know, that, that wrapping tissue paper. And so I walk up and down through there and I'll usually go through the toy aisle and there's something that I see Miley might like for her Disney collection. I'll get it and put it in, the, put it in my basket. So I'm walking up and down each aisle, finding all kinds of things that I did not go in there for. Went down the, uh, the health aisle there and found some hand sanitizers, threw them over in there. and uh, You never have too much of that nowadays. And uh, Then I turned around to the candy aisle. That's my aisle, Dollar Tree candy aisle. And I start off with the gummies. The gummies are on the left-hand side as you go down the aisle. And I like the Haribo Cola bottles. Those are one of my favorites. And every once in a while, I'll get the Haribo uh, cherries. And you put each one of those in your mouth at the same time, and now you have Cherry Coke. All right? So you just learn something for the first time on your way home. Go to the Dollar Tree and try that. It's really good. Uh, then I'm coming down the aisle, and I see the cowtails. My wife likes those cowtails, you know, the caramels with the, uh, the stuff. I'm going to make you so hungry, aren't I? And so I got some of those for her and my daughter. I forget what I got for her, but just keep throwing stuff in my basket. Uh, and then I turn the corner because I'm feeling so bad that I put all that candy in there. Now I'm going down the dehydrated fruit aisle. And I have to make myself feel better. Those dehydrated strawberries are like candy. Have you had those? Those are so good. And so I throw a few of those over in there. Don't care for the bananas. Pass those up. Leave them for the next guy. I get some of the apples, maybe the apricots that are there. Put them in a little bit. And then on down, after the, the dehydrated fruit, you have the chip aisle. And boy, I love those Zaps Voodoo. Have you had those? The Zaps Voodoo? Man, those are good. So you got to throw a few of those in there, and then you can't leave there without some Takis, right? Everybody know what Takis are? Oh, man, they'll burn a hole in your esophagus. Those are bad, but they sure are good going down, you know? And so I got some of those. And at the end of that aisle, there's the frozen foods. And I'm looking through there, and I see these nice vacuum-sealed uh, tilapia fillets that are there. And I'm thinking, man, all this junk, I need to be eating a little bit more healthy. And so I open the door and poof, 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 just throw some of those in there. Right beside that, they put these frozen chocolate-dipped bananas. I love a chocolate-dipped banana. So you see where we're going back and forth, healthy, not healthy. I throw some of those in there because, look, I'm eating healthy now. I'm eating baked fish, and so I can eat the chocolate-dipped bananas. So I turn the corner, go up another aisle, and then they have some little gnocchis. That's new to me in my life, really thick noodles made out of potatoes. We got them at Olive Garden, and I said, you know what? I want to try to make some of that at home, so I threw some of those in there. And on, I can't tell you all the things that I bought, on and on. I got some breath mints. I even got a can of lobster bisque. I mean, who knew that here in America, I mean, the greatest country on the planet, you can get lobster bisque in a can for a dollar at Dollar Tree. 
Got up to the counter, getting ready to check out. They always have those nice little things there for you to look through. And uh, lo and behold, I needed some breath mints, you know. It's, you don't want to offend somebody with your breath. Being a preacher, I do a lot of talking. And so I thought, I better get some breath mints. So I threw them in there. And then I put my basket up on the counter. I know you're glad to hear that. The way that I know that it's time to go check out is the basket weighs enough that my arm starts to tingle because the circulation's been cut off from carrying that basket too long. So that's my signal. When the tips of my fingers start to tingle, it's time to put the basket up there or else my hand's just going to fall and it's going to spill all over the floor. When I get up to the counter, the lady begins scanning. Boop, 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 scanning. I'm like, whoa now, slow down. And she got ready to, ready to ring it up, and I went in there for five bags of candy. That's how much it takes to feed all of the kids over there some candy. She says, that'll be $42. You didn't know that, did you? Confession, confession's good for the soul. My wife hears that now. She saw it on the ledger already. $42. I got up there, and I'm thinking to myself, how could that happen? How could that happen? It's a dollar tree. I mean, it's just a dollar. Nothing in there was $5. Nothing in there was $10. Everything in there was just a dollar. But after a while, it added up. And when that lady pronounced the judgment, she says, sir, that'll be $42. I could not believe that I had that much in that little green basket. Who thought at the Dollar Tree you could fit $42 worth of stuff in that little bitty green basket? And I'm sitting there, and I had to decide what I was going to do. She had read out her judgment. The judgment was $42. Look, there was no point in getting mad at her. She didn't put it in the basket. I was the one who put it in the basket. She was just a representative of the company telling me the charge for all of the choices that I had made. I want you to understand something this morning. That's a very common mistake that we make in the grocery store and we make in life. You know what that is? My mistake was I didn't stop to check up before I checked out. I just went through there. Man, yeah, we need some of those. It's only a dollar. I need some of those, need some of those, need some of those. My wife, watch this. We have an alarm set in our house, so I come and knock on the door because I don't want to set the alarm off. And uh, my wife always opens the curtain, looks at my face, and then looks at my hands to see how many bags that I'm carrying. Because she knows when I go to the store, I'm going to come back with stuff she didn't know that we needed, like lobster bisque in a can. It added up. It added up. All of those little dollar things, dollar here, dollar there, dollar there. After a while, it added all up, and I could not believe what the sum total was. Why? Because I didn't check up before I checked out. Now, folks, you're going to find, listen, in the grocery store, you're going to find in life that you need to check up every once in a while before you check out because when you reach the checkout, you might realize that you have a costly bill that's been run up. And this morning, that's what we're going to look at. The thought of checking up before we check out. Why? Because there's going to come a day when we're going to stand before that great cash register in heaven. And our bill's going to be read out to us. And what we're going to give an account for is the things that we have put in our basket throughout the whole sum of our life. And I assure you, when we get there, there's going to be some things in our basket we regret that are in there. But when we check out, it's too late to check up. That's why it's important that we check up before we check out. Now, Pharaoh is going to show us how to do that. Pharaoh is about to learn this lesson a very hard way, and it's important for us to learn from his account. Now, why is this important? Here's what I want you to see. Pharaoh was given 10 opportunities to check up. 10. The 10 plagues, we call them, we'll see here in just a minute, those were actually 10 opportunities from God for him to check up. 
Now, here's what I want to bring this home to us. There's a very familiar parallel as I was reading through this with America and with our entire world. The unspeakable year of last year, it seemed like one thing after another. One thing after another. January, I mean, right about a year ago. As a matter of fact, a year, it'll be a year, a week from tomorrow will be one year that we left from Sunday school, March the 15th. And it seemed like one thing after another, from the epidemic to tornado after tornado after tornado. We had hurricanes. We've had unusual cold weather. We had political unrest, social unrest. And we see all of these things happening, crisis after crisis after crisis. Now, here's what I want you to think about this morning. It seems too consistent to be a random coincidence. Too consistent. Something very interesting as I was studying this week, I've never seen this before. I was studying out the word judgment. And you look up in Matthew chapter 5, I think verse 21, when you run across the word judgment, I I love looking up words and parsing words and seeing exactly what they mean and where they come from. I want to show you a picture. Do we have that picture back there, guys? I want to show you a picture. Look at the very top. You'll see a circle. I circled this with a red circle. The transliteration of the word judgment, notice K-R-I-S-I-S. Say it together crisis. You look down. Can we scroll down, guys? Well, we just jumped up. Can we get back to the original slide? When you get down there to the bottom, you'll see that the definition is judgment. And you look back at last year, we had crisis after crisis after crisis. That's where we get our word crisis from. Instead of looking at the word crisis, let's interject the word judgment. Could it be that we had successive trials and troubles and plagues and pestilences and storms and natural disasters and political unrest and social unrest, and we said, we just keep having crisis after crisis after crisis. Could it be that we were having judgment after judgment after judgment? I mean, it's uncanny. One after another, and yet we see Pharaoh here. God gave him judgment after judgment after judgment, and I believe what we've been calling crisis, God has been calling judgment. Could it be this morning that God is giving us all of these chances to check up before we check out? Is that not what he was doing with Pharaoh? Plague one, check up. Plague two, check up. Plague three, come on, Pharaoh, check up. Plague four, come on, Pharaoh, check up. You ought to know better than this. It's four by now. And finally, after 10, Pharaoh refused to check up before he checked out, and he missed his opportunity. Now, folks, this morning, we've gone through a lot in the last year. We've gone through a lot this year. Could it be that God's trying to get us to check up before we check out? This morning, I want to try to help us a little bit, make some adjustments in our judgment. Now, let's look down, if we could, back to chapter number 5. We saw in chapter 1 where a new Pharaoh comes in and puts them to work. He decides he wants to cash in on that free labor. They're making the bricks to build his kingdom. Verse, chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says he heard their cry. Now, chapter number 5, Moses comes in and says, we want you to let them go. God says, let them go. But watch what he says. Look down, if you will, to verse 4. The king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their work? He says, he says, wait a minute, man. You're wanting me to let all of these people go? All of these people, these are my workers. They're getting the job done. Matter of fact, you keep on reading, you'll find out that they were building his treasure palaces. That's what they were doing. They're treasure cities, the Bible says. 
He says, I can't, I can't let them go because they're building my treasure cities. There were two of them we'll read about here in just a few, min- few minutes. Pharaoh says here, look, we don't have time for judgment. We don't have time to do what God says. We don't have time to respond to God right now because they're too busy. And he tells them simply, hey, I want you to go back to work. Let the people get back to work. The first thing I want you to see this morning that we need to do in order to check up before we check out, number one, is accept the interruption of judgment. Accept the interruption of judgment. Now, pay close attention to what's happening here. Judgment is when we're finally forced to acknowledge things we have previously chosen to ignore. Pharaoh keeps ignoring God. He's ignoring God and ignoring God. And finally, God brings judgment. And that judgment is there to motivate Pharaoh to finally acknowledge God who he had tried to ignore. I wonder this morning if the judgment we're going through is not God doing the exact same thing to us in America. We've ignored God and ignored God and not acknowledged God. No matter what God sent our way in the unspoken year of last year, we've yet to acknowledge him. Why? Because we want what we got going on to be interrupted. Pharaoh says, hey, hey, Moses, Aaron, look, look, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know who you're talking about. And look, if I let the people go, if I let the children of Israel go, then the work that I'm doing is going to be interrupted, and I can't let you interrupt my work, so just go on about your business. Now, folks, I want to tell you that's a lethal mistake to make today. It's a lethal mistake that when God tries to get our attention and God brings judgment into our life, for us to choose to ignore it, why? Because we do not want to be interrupted. Now, what was Pharaoh doing? We keep reading, we'll find out that he was building these treasure cities. One was Ramses. He was building these treasure palaces where he would store all of his goods. And he says, if I let God interrupt what I'm doing, then it's going to mess up my plans of what I'm trying to build. Therefore, tell God, not right now. And how often are we guilty of the same thing? God comes and God interrupts our life and God wants to interrupt our life and God wants to interject his will that we acknowledge him again and we tell God, no, God, I'm building something right now. God, I've got plans with my life. I've got plans with my money. Here it is, missions conference week and we have to pray about what God would have us to give to missions. We're like, God, I can't give to missions and acknowledge you through missions because I've got plans on things I'm building in my life and we refuse to acknowledge God. Why? We don't want our life interrupted. Now, folks, Pharaoh is going to learn the hard way. Remember when I was in Dollar Tree, you know, I never had to look down. I never had to look down in my basket. I didn't have to check up, but there was coming a judgment day. There was coming a judgment moment when I stood before that nice lady at the counter, and that lady says, sir, that's going to be $42. All the time I was walking up and down the aisles, getting what I wanted, doing what I wanted, I did not have to acknowledge what was in the basket, but there was coming a day I was going to have to acknowledge it. When I stood before her, yes, I did pay the $42. You see, I was too busy looking for other things to acknowledge what I had in my basket. Rather than realize, do I really want all the stuff that's in here? I really didn't need the lobster bisque. You know, calories were through the roof on that stuff. The bananas I could have lived without. The fruit was pretty good. But there were some things in that basket that I really did not need. But watch, I didn't want to interrupt what I was doing and what I was looking for to take stock of what I had. I didn't take the time to check up before I checked out, and man, when I checked out, ooh, it was expensive. Here's what my wife tells me. Used to, our daughter, we'd be in, we'd be in Walmart, and Miley would say, hey, Dad, can we have that toy? Can I have that toy? No, from time to time, we would buy her a toy, okay? We're not mean parents. But you know, sometimes kids want things they just really don't need. So here's what we would tell Miley. Miley, that's coming out of your Disney World money. She goes, never mind. 
Now, my wife's got into the same habit when I go to the Dollar Tree. Honey, it's going to come out of your Disney World money. And gosh, it really hurts. You know what she's making me do? She's making me check up before I check out. I want you to think about what you're carrying around, and I know you're going to get in there and see all this stuff you think you need, but be careful what you put in your basket because there is a reckoning when you get to that cash register and find out you don't really want to pay for all the things that you've put in that basket. Here's the problem. Pharaoh refused to be interrupted. God sends the plague to the water. He turns the water into blood. You would think he would get the point. What does Pharaoh say? Nope. Nope. I'm not going to be interrupted. You can't have my workers. You're not going to interrupt. I'm building my treasure palaces. You can't have them. And he would not allow God to interrupt him. Then what did God do? He sent the frogs. He got the gnats and he got the cattle and one by one all the way to the death of the firstborn. What was he trying to do? Trying to get Pharaoh to check up before he checked out. And how often do we not allow God to interrupt our life? But there's something you need to understand. God's not always going to be ignored. God knows how to get our attention. God knows our heart's desires. God knows what it's going to take to get to us. God knows what it's going to take to get us to bow a knee. And he knew exactly what it was going to take. And he waited all the way to the end. And finally, he reached out and he touched Pharaoh's child. I want you to know, you could rob my house, take my stuff. Now, I'm going to fight for it, all right? I'm going to put up a fight. I may be Jeremiah the librarian, but I'm going to put up a fight, all right? I'm going to scrap and claw to keep my stuff. And you may take my stuff. But, oh, if you want to hurt me, oh, you mess with my child. God knew how to get his attention, but Pharaoh did not want to be interrupted. He wouldn't allow the judgment of God to interrupt him. You know, the best thing we could all do today is accept the fact that God has interrupted our life for the past 12 months to help us to check up before we check out. Could it be that the trump of God is right around the corner? You look, listen, you read the word of God. Uh, it can't be too terribly far. The trumpet of God's about to sound. We're about to check out of here. And God says, I gave you 12 months worth of different things to help you check up before you check out. Folks, listen, we're going to stand before God and have our Dollar Tree basket in our hand. And we're going to be looking at down, looking at all of that stuff, trying to find somewhere to hide that on the streets of gold. Where do I put all this stuff? You mean I gave my life for all of You're going to be looking down and you're going to have a can of worldly lobster bisque in your basket, thinking to yourself, why on earth did I put that in there? But it's going to be too late to check up. Why? Because we're already checked out. And the reason we didn't check up, why? We didn't want God to interrupt what we had going. So I read a story years ago about an agnostic farmer who always loved to antagonize his Christian neighbor who was also a farmer. And so what he would do is he would purposefully plow his fields on Sunday he would plant his crops on Sunday. He would fertilize his crops on Sunday. He would weed his garden on Sunday. And he would pick his crop on Sunday just to agitate his Christian neighbor. One day he walks over to his neighbor and he says, Look, I planted my garden on a Sunday. I fertilized it on a Sunday. I weeded it on a Sunday. And I picked my crop on a Sunday. And I had the best crop I ever had. What do you and your God have to say about that? He said this. God doesn't always settle his accounts in October, but he will settle his accounts. God may not settle it now, but he's going to settle the accounts. And right now, we're living our life for ourselves. Oh, Pharaoh's building his treasure palaces with the children of Israel's free labor. He did not want to be interrupted, but I'll tell you something. He was going to settle his account. And by the way, so will each and every one of us. You have a running account. 
Remember, we went on our honeymoon. I did not have a cell phone, really, to speak of. You know, it's one of those where you paid by the minute. You know, they were not like these permanent fixtures of our hands as they are nowadays. You know, you just had it for emergencies. I even had one of those sack phones. You remember those? Man, you were cool. Had one of those. I borrowed my dad's one day after basketball practice. My friend needed to call for a ride. I said, oh, don't worry, I have a phone in the car. It even had a cord hooked to it. One of those curly cords, you know, he's calling 25 cents a minute. We got on a honeymoon, didn't have a cell phone. I didn't use a cell phone then. I don't think I took one with me. And so every night I'd call and check in some different things I had going on back home. And man, that hotel was keeping, keeping tabs on every time and every moment that I used that phone. I got ready to check out. I didn't have a whole lot of money. My wife was expensive on a honeymoon. She's wanting all these souvenirs. No, not really. I just didn't have a whole lot of money to begin with. Got ready to check out. I got to the desk. The lady says, that'd be $58. I says, for a What? You already charged me $3 for a canned Coke. What's the $58 for? She says, every time you use that phone, it was so much a minute. They were keeping tabs. Even though I was enjoying calling and checking on whatever I was checking on, there was a meter running, and that meter was going to be settled, and that's the way it is with God. Ecclesiastes 11.9, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and the sight of thine eyes. Listen close. But know thou, for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. There is a judgment. Every one of us will stand in judgment before God, whether you're saved, the judgment seat of Christ. Brother Barnes mentioned it the other night. If you're lost, the most dreaded place you'll ever stand is the great white throne of judgment right before you're cast into the eternal lake of fire. But understand this, lost or saved, you will stand in judgment. And it's better right now to let God interrupt your life, interrupt what you're trying to build right now, than for you to check out before you check up and realize that it's too late to do anything about it. Famous sermon. I think many of us know. I have a copy of the record. Our kids are not going to know what it is. Dr. R.G. Lee preached a very famous sermon. I believe he preached it here, did he not? Payday someday. Good friend of mine, your uncle, Brother Thomas or Timothy, gave me this record. Payday Someday, R.G. Lee, he signed it on the back. If you've ever heard the sermon, Payday Someday, it simply means exactly what it says. There's a judgment. Every one of us will stand before God. You're going to give an account. Listen, whether you're lost or you're saved, it's best you let God interrupt what you're trying to build right now because right now is the time to check up before you check out. Now, why wouldn't Pharaoh do this? Turn back to chapter 1, verse 11. I want to show you. Chapter 1, verse number 11. Watch this. Therefore, they did set over the ta- them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. You see, he couldn't let them go. He couldn't be interrupted. Why? He says, I'm building these treasure cities, and I believe we have the same problem Pharaoh does. We won't allow God to interrupt us. Look, all that we went through last year, we didn't get the message of what God was trying to do. God was trying to interrupt us. God was trying to show us that we weren't acknowledging him, and he was trying one by one by one as the plagues of Egypt to get us to finally look up and acknowledge God. But we're too busy. Why? Because we're building our treasure cities. We're too busy with the treasure of self. Of self. So the Bible says not to lay up treasure down here where moth and rust doth corrupt. There's nothing that you could build. You know the treasure cities of Pharaoh are empty to this day? They're empty. 
They sit there as the ruins. There's no treasure. They have been looted. Thieves broke through and thieves stole, almost like God knew what he was talking about when he said not to lay up treasures on this earth where thieves can break through and steal. Even the mighty Pharaoh lost all the treasure cities that he had. Why? Because he did not allow God to interrupt his life even with judgment. February 18, 2001, it's a day that some of you folks will know well. 20 years ago, just a, just a month ago, uh, it was the Daytona 500. I remember coming home from church. I was not a NASCAR guy. Never really been into NASCAR, but I'm open to trying it. Maybe one day go out there and watch that. And you just go round and round. You know, you start off and they're going round and round and you finish and they're going round and round. So I just thought, you know, give me five minutes before it's over. I'll watch that last part. And we got home from church and saw the news that Dale Earnhardt had been killed. February 18th, 2001. And killed instantly 180 miles an hour coming on the last lap. Almost, almost fitting, the last lap of the race goes into the wall at 180 miles an hour. They obviously did an autopsy on him, trying to figure out exactly what happened. Some thought he hit his chin on the steering wheel. Some thought the steering wheel had crushed his chest. But what had happened was hitting the wall at that speed, his muscles could not brace his neck back enough to keep it from going forward with momentum of a 180-mile-an-hour crash and basically snapped his skull loose from his body. Broke his neck and killed him. Interesting story, the, the NASCAR officials had been trying to get their drivers to wear what's called a Hans device, H-A-N, head and neck restraint, to where it would keep their head locked in as it is now in the races, but he had refused it. He said, I don't want to wear one of those, and here's the quote. He says, it restricts my movement. They asked him why he was not before the race wearing a Hans device. He said, it restricts my movement. It keeps me from driving the way that I want to drive, and I'm not going to wear it, and it cost him his life. Why? He didn't want his movement restricted. He didn't want the way that he wanted to do things to be interrupted. Now, I'm not talking down to him, but folks, how many of us are just like Dale Earnhardt? How many of us want to drive the way we want to drive? I want to go the way I want to go, do the way things I want to do it. Don't give me something that's going to restrict my life or restrain my life, and I promise you that's what's going to cost you your life. Pharaoh did not want to check up. He says, hey, you're not getting my people. You're not interrupting my plans. Hey, don't try to restrict what I'm doing. And that cost him dearly. He didn't check up before he checked out. I fear today we ignore God because we don't want him to interrupt the way we like to drive. My wife, I tell you all the time, is the second Holy Spirit. She's always telling me, honey, we're not in a rush. That's a nice, kind, wifey, submissive way to say, slow down, buster. She said in a nice way, oh, did you know it's 55 miles an hour through here? Oh, when did they put that sign up there? She finds all of these creative ways not to make me feel bad, even though I get it. And I tell her, this is the way I want to drive. You know, I'll get up on the bumper of some of you people. <laughs> come on, come on. This is the fast lane for a reason. Sunday drivers in the right lane. Look, I'm on my way somewhere always. And my wife says, why are you on their bumper? I says, they need to know they're in my way. And she always says, well, if that's what you think God wants you to do, don't you get spiritual on me. I want to drive the way I want to drive. I want to do what I want to do. Hey, don't interrupt doing things the way I want to do things. And that's what we do with God. God gave us 12 months of nightmares. Do you know what he was trying to do? He was trying to interrupt us with judgment. I'm trying to interrupt your life. Why? Because judgment's coming. But notice the second thing. We're going to hurry. Like Pharaoh, oftentimes we resist the judgment. We don't want God to interrupt our life. Oftentimes the reason we do that is we have a misunderstanding of what God is trying to do. 
You know, I'm sure Pharaoh looked at God with the 10 things he sent to him. I'm sure Pharaoh looked at those things. Those are 10 mean things God was doing to him, but that was not God's intention. What did he say? Look down, if you will, verse 1, chapter 5. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. Let my people go. What was God's intention? God's intention was he was trying to get Pharaoh to let go of something. He couldn't afford to keep. Don't you think about that. He was trying to get him to let go of something that he could not afford to hold on to. Now, number two, listen, if you're going to check out before you check out, the second thing you need to do is accept the intention of judgment. Number one, you need to understand what God is doing in that judgment. God's trying to interrupt our life. Why? Because he doesn't want us to get to the end of the road. But you need to understand the intention behind that. You look in chapter five, verse number one, he says, let him go. Chapter number 6, verse number 11, the Bible says this, Go in, speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that he let the children of Israel go. Do you know what he was doing? The interruptions that God was bringing into Pharaoh's life were really in his best interest. He was trying to get him to let go of something that if he held on to was going to kill him. Probably one of the scariest things as a parent for me was when our little girl, she hasn't done it in a while, but when our little girl, when she was a lot littler than she is now, would choke on something. You know, as a parent, we only have one, you know. We don't have any spares to go around, so we only got one. And, you know, she'd be in her room, and all of a sudden you hear that, (coughs) and you drop whatever you're doing. You run in there, see what's going on, and she's got her mouth open, and you snatch her up, and you're you're trying to remember what the Heimlich was like. You're like, man, I should have paid attention and helped class. And you're beating on her back, and you are beating her mercilessly. Yeah, you know what I mean. You're beating her. Why? Because she's got one of those pink hot dogs in her throat. That's what it is. And it's stuck, and you're trying to beat it out. I remember as a kid at our camp, he jumped in our pool, and when he jumped in, his swim trunks kind of came down a little bit. And when it did, it scared him, and he inhaled a lungs full of water. Happened just instantly. Some of, some of the teenagers were here. Just instantly. Just in a, just a few short moments, this kid is unconscious in the pool. I jumped in. I was in dress clothes. I jumped in, grabbed him, lifeless body. He just, just as limp as could be. Got him out of the water. His lips were turning blue. His fingers were turning blue. Why? His lungs were filled with water. Try to do CPR, chest compressions, try and do whatever I could. Nothing was working. So finally, I bent him over my knee and started beating on his back. His name was Junior, wasn't it? I'm saying, Junior, you got to breathe. Junior, you got to breathe. And I'm beating a hole in that kid's back. And all of a sudden, (laughs) Kool-Aid and pulled pork. That's what we had for lunch. It's tough for me to eat to this day. I got to be honest with you, you know. And pickles. He got out of the hospital, came back to camp. He had to go to the hospital for a couple of days, had water in his lungs, got pneumonia. And uh, I apologized to him. I said, Junior, I got to apologize to you. He says, why? I says, for beating you in the back. I'm beating on his back. You got to breathe, man. You got to breathe. What was I doing? I was trying to beat out of him something that he could not hold on to and live. There was water in his lungs. And that water had to come out of his lungs. I was trying to beat it out of him. Why? Because if he held on to it, it was going to kill him. And oftentimes, watch what God does. Oftentimes, God uses judgment in our life, and we think it's painful, but truthfully, it's merciful. 
God sends judgment in our life and pain comes in our life because God's trying to shake something out of our hands that if we hold on to it, it's going to kill us. God says, there's something stuck in your throat. I'm trying to get it out. You say, God, that doesn't feel good. Leave me alone. God says, I love you. And every son, what's this, that he loves, what does he do? He chastens. There, ha- there, ha- there came a day in my life as a young man, I don't remember when it was, maybe 12, 13 years old, that I realized that my mom and dad truly loved me when they spanked me. It, it took me a long time to get it. Man, why is this guy hurting me? I don't like that. I'm trying to get you to turn loose of something, to let go of something that's going to kill you. How often in scriptures do we see that God's interruptions are actually opportunities? Think about that. How many times do we see in Scripture where God interrupts somebody's life and the interruption actually became an opportunity, i.e. Saul? And God interrupted his life, knocked him off his mule, laying there on the ground. Well, that wasn't polite. Couldn't you just, couldn't you just wrote me a letter, sent me an email or something like that? No, knocked him off, standing there. Now he's looking up in this bright light. What's that all about? That interruption was an opportunity. To not only come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, but be able to follow him as a faithful disciple preaching the word of God. He had no idea the opportunity that was there in that interruption. I think about oftentimes in Scripture, we see people like Jonah. And we think about that whale. Imagine Jonah sitting in that whale. Well, this is the pits. You know, I tell you, it's not like Pinocchio. It's not like Pinocchio. Some of you people, look, you watch too much cartoons. It wasn't like that. There was no light in there. It stunk. He wasn't fishing like Geppetto was. I mean, he's in this whale. And you think about, man, how mean was God? God to send a whale to swallow that guy. Can I tell you, that whale saved his life. Saved his life. That whale was the best thing that ever happened to him. You know why? That whale became his altar. That whale brought him to his knees where he cried out to God. I love Jonah chapter 1 begins with the word now. And Jonah chapter 2 begins with the word then. A lot can happen between now and then, can it not? And you're thinking, man, he got thrown overboard. What kind of jerks would throw their friend overboard? God was working in that. And then he's out there in the ocean, bobbing up and down, turns around. I kind of figure it this way. Jonah kind of feels something sniffing at his neck. It's probably a whale, isn't it? (laughs) Yep. And I don't think Jonah fought. He was like, just get me. Just get me. That whale was the best friend John ever had. Saved his life. Why? Because God's intention in judgment is not to beat you down. It's to beat something loose. To help you turn loose and let go of what ultimately is going to cost you dearly. But he sang a song the other night. Man, it just gripped my heart during the missions conference. If not mistaken, it was entitled, Disturb Us, O Lord. Disturb us. Do you know you could swap that word, interrupt us? Interrupt us? God, we're down here building our treasure palaces, our treasure cities of Pyroth and, and Ramses. And God comes through and he interrupts us with his judgment. And we're thinking, God's just being mean. All of last year, God was just being mean. No, God wasn't being mean. He was being merciful. You know what he was doing? He was giving us a chance to check up before we check out. God says, I'm giving you a little wink. Here it comes. All right, the trumpeteer is up there. He's tuning up the trumpet. I don't know if you have to do that in heaven, but he, he's tuning up. He's getting some practice in. He's getting ready, all right? I'm gonna let that year come along, kind of be those judgments to let you know, hey, you need to check up before you check out. And when you realize what God's intention was, it, it helps us a whole lot. 
The story of a young salesman who was very disappointed about losing a big deal that he was trying to work in his business. And he went to his boss and he said this. He said, well, I guess the old adage is true that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. His boss says, he says, son, he says, I want you to take some advice from me today. He says, your job is not to make him drink. Your job is to make him thirsty. Could it be that last year was God making us thirsty? God's not going to invade your will. God's not going to make you go to heaven. He'll let you go to hell if you want to go there. He's not going to make you go to heaven. He's not going to make you live right. But look, he can do a whole lot of stuff in his love to make us thirsty. And oh, last year made me thirst to be closer to God than I ever have in my life. Numbers 14, 22, the children of Israel, after they would leave, the Bible says, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice. Ten times. God gave him opportunity after opportunity. I, think, I was thinking this morning back there in the office. Last year was full of interruptions, wasn't it? It's interruptions. I'll be honest with you. There were times, I know you look at me now and think, man, you just seem like a bold, strong leader. Well, I know, you know, but man, back there in my office, I've cried the blues last year. Really? What's next? You quit asking that after a while because you found out, didn't you? What's next? Even in 2021, what's going on? All these interruptions, God says, they weren't interruptions, they were intentions. God says, I'm working in the midst of all of this. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to get you ready to check out to check up before you check out. I think about all of the challenges that came to us last year. We look at the pandemic, well, what a challenge that was. And the tornadoes, what a challenge that was. A hurricane, what a challenge that was. And folks getting sick and in the hospital, folks, what a challenge that was. Do you know what? God looks down at what we call challenges and he calls them chances. Pharaoh says, are you kidding? You're going to turn the water and the blood and frogs everywhere and flies and cattle and darkness and all of that? Look at all of these challenges. God says, those aren't challenges, those are chances. I'm giving you chances to answer the judgment that I have sent to get you where you need to be. One week from tomorrow marks one year that God interrupted our life. God interrupted it. I have no doubt in my mind, you can try to change my mind, but you won't, that it wasn't God that interrupted us. And we had crisis after crisis after crisis. And God says, are you sure it's not judgment after judgment after judgment? God says, I'm not being mean. God says, I'm actually being merciful because he just wants us to acknowledge him. What did he want from Pharaoh? Acknowledge me. Really neat study. We don't have time to do it because it's 12.09 for those of you too scared to look at your watch. You look at those 10 plagues. I can't say this affirmatively, but scholars have gone through and counted those 10 plagues and saw how those 10 plagues target the 10 different gods, 10 of the many different gods that were in Egypt. God says, I'm going to bring this down and I'm going to bring this one down. I'm going to bring this one down. I'm going to bring this one down until finally I brought all of them down and the only one left that you will acknowledge is me. Is that what God was doing last year? Was that what his intention was, to get us to finally to acknowledge him? The sad thing is Pharaoh didn't get it. He didn't get it. He saw God's message as an obstacle, not as an opportunity. Number three, I want to show you this, and we're going to be done. We're going to end on a high note today, if that's all right. Turn to Exodus chapter number 10. Exodus chapter number 10. We're going to hurry. I want you to look down to verse 21. We're about to look at the plague of darkness. 
Exodus 10, 21, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. Now, folks, I don't know that I've ever experienced darkness like that. Darkness that may be felt. Verse 22, And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all of the land of Egypt three days. Verse 23, They saw not, not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. Watch this. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Now notice close, in the midst of all the turmoil that was going on, something special was taking place in a land called Goshen. Goshen was the land that Joseph had settled in. Remember the good Pharaoh gave them land for Israel to come? The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 45, he says, God sent me to preserve life. And the land that Israel settled in was called the land of Goshen. Now, notice in this land, the Bible says in verse number 23, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. In the midst of all the judgment that was going on, God had carved out a little place for his people. Now, watch this. It doesn't mean they weren't affected by the judgment, but they weren't overcome by the judgment. This is important. Goshen was the only exception. Now, here's the bad news. The bad news is judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. The good news is God has provided a way for his people. Number three, I want you to see this and we're going to close. We've got to accept the exception to judgment. The exception to judgment. The only way to check up before you check out is through God's way, the place, the way that God made for us not to have to be exposed to the judgment that's coming. You know, the great white throne of judgment, you think about it, what a frightening place that's going to be. Where all the lost throughout all the ages stand before God, and right before they are cast into a devil's hell, they will stand at that judgment. Oh, a horrific thought. Horrific thought. If you've yet to trust Christ as your Savior this morning, it's a horrific thought that if you continue on the path that you're on, you're going there, and you'll stand at that judgment. But wait a minute. God loved us, the Bible said. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now watch this. God made a way that you and I don't have to go there. God carved out a little Goshen for his people. That in the midst of all the judgment that surrounds us, he's provided a place for us to be saved. What does the Bible say? Turn to John 3 real quick. I want you to see this for yourself before we close. Let's go to John 3, and I want you to see 16, but I want you to keep reading. John 3, look down to verse number 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God says, I'm making a way in the judgment. He that believeth on him is not condemned. What does that mean? Will not stand at that judgment. But he that believeth is not, not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. There's one attribute about my God that I absolutely love. It's the fact that he is a way-making I was typing out notes last night. I kept trying to type out waymaking, and my computer kept putting in haymaking. Evidently, waymaking is not a real word, but I'll tell you, it's a real attribute of my God. Isaiah, the Bible says in verse 43, chapter 43, verse 16, Thus saith the Lord, what maketh a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters. God's a waymaking God. Now, watch this. You got to see this. We're going to end on a high note, okay? Some of you are thinking just ending is the high note, but no, we're going to end on a high note. Watch this. God, in the midst of all the judgment, carved out a place for his people. 
And even when there was darkness everywhere else, there was still light here. Why? Because he's a way-making God. And as the midst of all of the judgment we're living in tonight or this morning in America, understand this, as the people of God, we should still have light in our dwellings. Why? Because God's made a way. Listen, I don't have to let the darkness encroach upon my life, the doom and gloom. That's why when you go on Facebook, hey, don't be down all the time. Why? We're living in Goshen. We're the people of God. We're the people that God's made a way for. You read in Genesis what happened to, to Noah. Judgment was coming, but God made a way. In Exodus, they're standing at the Red Sea. Here comes Pharaoh. Pharaoh's going to bring his judgment. And all of a sudden, God made a way. All throughout Scripture, we serve a way-making God. But here's what I want you to understand. The way must be accepted. You've got to accept it. He goes to Pharaoh ten times. Pharaoh, let him go. 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 Pharaoh says, not going to do it. He didn't accept the way that God would have made. And Pharaoh suffered the judgment there in the bottom of that Red Sea with all the others who have rejected God. Now, folks, understand this. Number one, if you're lost here today, God has made a way that you don't have to stand before that great white throne of judgment. He's carved you out a little bit of Goshen. He's carved you a place where you can have light in the midst of a world that's living in darkness, but you've got to accept it. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, emphatic and singular. I am the way. I'm it. You want to listen, you want to live in a land and have some light when everybody else has darkness. It's only through Christ. That's it. I can do all things through Christ. I can through Christ. He is the way. I think about this morning, the Bible says in John, uh, John chapter 5, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Wouldn't you like to bypass some of this trouble? Wouldn't you like to bypass some of this judgment? The way you do that is you check up before you check out. And the only way to do that is through Christ. Christ has made a way that the lost could be saved and that the saved this morning can have light in our dwellings in the midst of darkness. Here's the question. Are we like Pharaoh as his children this morning trying to carry something we can't afford to keep? Have we gone through this life and we're filling our basket with what we want and we're building our treasure cities and we're doing all of this and all of that? We don't have time to be interrupted by you. You brought judgment to America, and we're not getting the point. We're not going to interrupt. Hey, I'm, still, I'm too busy right now. And God's going to bring judgment after judgment after judgment. Why? He's trying to get us to check up before we check out. I wonder how many of us this morning, just like Pharaoh, unwilling to heed God's call through judgment. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. I don't like what we went through last year. I don't like what we're going through this year. But if it takes a little bit of more of last year to come into this year for us to get the message of what God's trying to do, do you know it'd be worth it? It'd be worth it. What's God trying to do? Well, number one, we see the interruption of judgment. Is God trying to interrupt your life today? What is he going to have to do to interrupt your life? What is it? What is it that he's finally going to have to put his hand on? Is it your treasure cities? What is he going to have to do to interrupt your life where you finally realize it's him? It's him. And you're thinking, God's just being mean to me. Let all of this stuff happen. No, that's the intention of judgment. God's intention is to get you to finally let go of what he's been trying to get you to let go for a long time. And this morning, you can accept the exception to judgment. God made a way for his people. And God will make a way for you this morning. But you've got to accept that personally. Now, I want you to have your heads bowed and eyes closed just for a few moments.